Welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. My name is Cam, your host, and today's episode is amazing. Truly, it is amazing. I interviewed Dr. Melissa Sell, who is a teacher of German New Medicine. And I won't get too much into what uh, GNM is. We discuss it in the episode. Melissa gives us an overview of the five natural laws and how German New Medicine differs from the allopathic and the holistic model. Um, All I'll share in this introduction is that German New Medicine for me is what connects the dots of everything that has been missing that i've been questioning things that have not made sense you know many of us take um, either a quantum leap or a step at least out of the allopathic model understanding that you know overuse of things like pharmaceutical drugs does not serve us uh, does not serve our health but there are still missing pieces, like huge gaping holes, actually, when it comes to even naturopathic models and um, chiropractic models and all basically these like more holistic ways of looking at health. They're still fundamentally rooted in the body being broken. And it never, I shouldn't say it never resonated. It resonated for a while until it didn't. You know, it works until it doesn't. And for me, German New Medicine, it lands, it lands. It feels good in my nervous system. It makes sense to, you know, the body's natural wisdom, the the power of the body's wisdom. This paradigm requires a new way of thinking. It requires unlearning so much of what we learned about what it means to be human, what it means to be healthy, and what it means to heal. This podcast is a fantastic introduction to German New Medicine, which is a topic that I have not yet dived deeply into. I have um, learned the very basics, but I decided to press pause as soon as I discovered it and as soon as I like have been starting to hear the whispers basically of what this discovery is, because it's not new information, it's ancestral wisdom. It is, it is it, like the, the premise of it all is based on what they call the, na- the five natural laws. It's, it is nature understood, basically, is how I can describe German New Medicine. And so instead of doing a deep dive like I typically do, Um, I decided to reach out to Melissa while my um, psyche is still fresh to this information so that the interview could be genuine curiosity. I find interviews are much better in that dynamic as opposed to, you know, me doing too much digging and then kind of asking things I already have answers to. So Melissa so graciously accepted my request for an interview and now begins the deep dive because I... I, the truth resonates, like it reverberates in your bones. And I hope that at the very least, this makes you curious about a new possibility, a new way of operating. Um, And perhaps like it did for me, it will just smack you in the face like truth does when you are anchored in, um, anchored in your body, when you value truth, when you 
um, live a life of integrity. I think that these things automatically, they just land. So yeah, I invite you to stay curious, to be open-minded because a lot of what she shares, all of what she shares, you know, flies completely against the mainstream narrative, not only the allopathic mainstream medicine model, but also um, most of the holistic models. So I really hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Melissa, for agreeing to this interview. I am so honored to have hosted her on the Becoming Fully Human podcast, and I will add all the links to her website, to her YouTube page, and um, all the little things she mentions in the episode in the show notes. Oh, and I will note, we had a bit of technical difficulties with Melissa's internet. So there is one part, I think it's about 15 minutes in, where there's about 20 seconds missing of audio. I cropped it out so that you're not just waiting in silence, dead air for 20 seconds, but it skips through the conversation. It doesn't really deter from the conversation much, so we just kept going. Alrighty, enjoy this episode. Okay, so I thought before we dove into German New Medicine, um, we could talk uh, a little bit about the parallels between the allopathic model and the holistic model, because I think many of the people who listen, who are listening, um, will have a degree of awareness that the you know mainstream medical allopathic model is not serving us. And many people understand that pharmaceutical drugs um, have a lot of side effects and they're not, you know, it's not the optimal way to heal the body. So from the allopathic model, most people transition into the holistic model, right? You're using herbs instead of pharmaceutical drugs, which innately feels like more natural and healthy. Um, But can you explore a little bit the parallels between the two and why um, maybe first that we can we can dive into German new medicine as like the new paradigm um, after we explore the the similarities between holistic and allopathic. Perfect, and I love that's a really interesting way to start it actually, because um, it all has to do with this. What do you think is causing the illness? You know, what is it really about? Is it about the germs and the bacteria and the viruses? Because still, even, you know, I, because I come from, yeah, first the conventional, oh, you know, you just touch a doorknob and you could get sick. There's nothing you can do about it. Here, here, take this to reduce your fever, take this to, you know, this antibiotic to clear the bacteria out. That's the best we can do. And then you move into like the more holistic world where you're, you know, you're eating differently because you believe that you've got this immune system and my immune system can fight off the bad bacteria that was on the doorknob. Only if I support it properly with good nutrition, and if I take these good supplements, if I take this turmeric to decrease my inflammation, and if I take all of these uh, these green supplements to, or the stuff that's gonna help me build glutathione. I mean, I was all in that world for many years of boosting my immune system to make myself stronger from the bad external. And so it's still the bad external. The, there's a virus, there's a bacteria. Um, conventional, there's just kind of no answers here, just take our drugs, holistic, um, it's there's something I can do, I can take action, I can change my diet, I can take these supplements, I can boost my internal strength to defend against the evil outside. And, and so those, you know, that's kind of the main similarity is that we're still defending against something. We're still believing that there are bad bacteria, that there are bad, you know, little uh, microscopic things that we can come into contact with that can make us sick. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where the GNM GHK model on um, the Dr. Hammer discovered is that these are not causative agents. The bacteria that we thought were getting on us or in us, making us sick, are actually the effect. They're not the cause. We experience something that caused an adaptation, and the bacteria come in like the firefighters. They come in as the cleanup after the fact. And so that's how we have to switch this thinking. It really does. When you understand the nuances of the five biological laws, you really start seeing everything in a new light. Um, and it does take some time to kind of see all the ways in which your your ideology, your perception has been influenced by the conventional and then the holistic models to see how truly different this one is. And before getting into the biological um, laws, I thought maybe we could also explore the concept of outliers, because um, in both these models, in the allopathic and holistic model, there's always, you know, well, it happened this way for this person, but not for that person. Or these, both these people have the predisposition to the gene, only one gets sick. Two people, you know, in a relationship, spending a lot of time together, one has the flu, one doesn't. So yeah, can you explore outliers a little bit? Yes, I love, I mean, and that for me was very difficult when I was in the holistic model because I was very devoted to my my ideology. I really believed that if the stuff I taught people, that if you eat this way, if you take these supplements, if you do these exercises, if you take care of your nervous system, do all of these things, you will not get sick, you know? But every so often I would encounter uh, an outlier. I would see someone who was, you know, doing all of the things I was teaching, and then they'd have some type of diagnosis, or they'd have cancer, and it would really rattle my foundations, because I thought that if you did it this way, you wouldn't get that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these outliers, you know, same thing in the conventional model, somebody who does everything wrong, um, and still they live to be 9900 yeah they, with their glass finding. of whiskey and their like pizza is their secret to living to 102 mm-hmm. their cigars and it's like what what do you mean i thought and that's the thing about everything in conventional medicine and holistic for the most part it is um statistics we look at most people but when you look at biological law it's not statistics it's 100% of the time mm-hmm. it has to be this way if it if something does not con, you know isn't confined to the law then it's not a law anymore if anything is ever different so for example smoking causes cancer is not a law it's a theory it's an idea mm-hmm. because there are people who smoke and never get cancer and vice versa there are people who never smoke and get lung cancer and so we know it's not a one to one we know it's like statistic this percentage of these people you know develop this or that type of cancer or this percentage of people who eat meat get colon cancer. So we can't say that eating meat causes colon cancer because if it did, it would be like that across the board 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, same thing with this germ causes sickness. It's like, okay, what about the people who survive the plague? Obviously they were around, they were breathing the air, they were exposed to what everybody else was exposed to. How did they make it? I'm interested in the outliers. I'm interested in the ones who didn't get sick and the ones who made it, the ones who survived the supposedly deadly whatever that was going through, what was different about them? And so that's where, you know, there's no answers or very vague answers in the realms of conventional and holistic um, thinking. Whereas in the model of the five biological laws, 
it makes sense. There's a reason. And it has to do with the individual and our subjective perspective, which nobody else takes into account, you know, and that's what I love about it. It's so individualized. It's so unique. Um, but it also helps us to explain why things can happen to groups of people, you know, our receptivity, and I'm sure we'll get into more of that. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's so much more that we haven't even explored yet with the scientific means that we do have because of how closed off people are to going going here because once you go here you can't really go back it no. changes the fundamentals yeah you can't i haven't um i haven't done too much of a deep dive into the topic yet because you agreed to an interview and i thought it would be much i find the interviews are more fruitful when i actually have genuine questions as opposed to it kind of being like i know exactly what you're going to say um but when i learned about german new medicine for the first time it was almost like it was a coming home it was I had so many things like little pieces of, you know, having left the allopathic model, having seen a medical doctor in years and years and years. But even after that, having worked with different practitioners, I'm like, there's just something doesn't add up. Um, so when I, you know, I've heard a few people talk about these principles and especially in the context of the pandemic, you know, you're hearing these new theories and it's just like, of course, of course, it's really like a coming home, but I find there is also a lot of resistance. And what I've drawn, you know, very loose and light parallels and made a few like initial comments because I don't know too much, but making, I think one of the best ways to get people to question things is just to ask them questions. Instead of saying, this is the way it is, it's to ask simple questions. And I've been doing that recently more and more on social media. And some people are quite triggered. Um, to go against the holistic model, right? They're, they've ditched allopathic, or even if they haven't ditched allopathic, for people to take a step out of the current paradigm that they live in is so difficult. And I think one of the reasons is there's this assumption that if you're saying um, doctors are suppressing symptoms, right? Whether it be with pharmaceutical drugs or natural herbs, there's this assumption that you're saying the doctor's a bad person or ill-intentioned. There's a lot of resistance there. Like, have you experienced that? And having been a practitioner of holistic um, medicine, how, how do you help usher people out of like this rigid dogma that they're so stuck in? Helping them to see the resistance, to mm -hmm. see the rejection to the idea. Like when, when your deeply held beliefs are questioned, what do you do? How do you respond, you know, and so watching yourself get prickly, you know, that's what I call it is when someone's stepping on your dogma, you, you get prickly, you feel defensive, you feel, you know, and you don't even know exactly why most of the time, because a lot of these assumptions that we have, they're unexamined. And for me, I was, I was a very, very, very dogmatic thinker. I thought I knew how things the way things worked for 25 years i was like i had it on lockdown about god and the universe about health and nutrition and you know like what you need to do to be healthy i was very 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 dogmatic and like i'd go to my parents house i'd give them lectures and clean out all of their cupboards and tell them that they're if they keep eating this they're they're gonna get cancer it's like i was very committed to my ideology and no one could tell me any different <laughs> and and i had to like I've had to go through the experience of the destabilization world on this foundation. And then someone comes along and pulls the rug out very much unsafe um, with the idea that the stuff you've believed for 25, 35, 65 years, 
maybe isn't the whole picture. Maybe it's not the whole story. Um, and so watching that discomfort, becoming curious about it instead of resisting it, realizing that there are other ways of looking at health and symptoms and the cause of disease that maybe you've never looked at, you know, questioning your unquestioned assumptions about the, the universe, about the way the world works. I mean, it's, it's very profound work, but people are resistant to doing it because it's it's pretty unstabilizing. Um, it can feel really uncomfortable. Um, but when you are more interested in the truth than your old kind of comfort systems, that's when you kind of walk across that bridge or when you really see with your own eyes, like the scamdemic, like people, it allowed them to wake up to things that maybe they wouldn't have before because it's like, boom, in your face. Mm -hmm. And they have to figure out, what do I actually believe about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing. Um, I found I had that even myself with my family, this like deep desire to help, right? Fix really, if you start to explore the shadow too of wanting to help people and the attachment um, to a certain model, be it, you know, allopathic or natural and how much of our own shadow is there living, like needing to fix the world around us and make the world around us okay so that we can feel okay. There's so much to explore there. I mean, that actually surely plays into our own inner healing um, maybe we can transition into the tenets of German new medicine and what makes, yeah, what, what are the five? Can you touch on them a little bit so we can understand this completely new paradigm? <laughs> yeah. This is um, the discovery was born out of Dr. Hammer's own personal experience of losing his 17 year old son um, in a tragic accident where he was shot. He didn't die right away, but it took three months of trying to see if he's going to make it. And then he passed away. And then after that, Dr. Hammer, three months after the loss of his son, he developed a testicular tumor. And he knew that there had to be a connection between the trauma, the tragedy of the loss of his son and this testicular tumor. He worked in oncology, he had access to cancer patients. And so he started discussing their situation um, and he started to draw connections. And so, you know, more than just stress, causes cancer that I mean that idea has been around the whole psychosomatic idea that prolonged stress diminishes the immune system this is the old idea prolonged stress diminishes the immune system which allows cancer cells to grow and the immune system which normally keeps cancer cells in check you know is diminished because of stress and then we have cancer that's the old idea of stress causing cancer but what he started to see was that there was more to the story so men who had testicular cancer always had a loss, specifically some type of loss of a person or a pet. Women um, who had a ductal breast cancer had some type of separation conflict. Someone was torn from their breast. Um, uh, people who had lung cancer had a death fright conflict. People who had colon cancer had an ugly, indigestible morsel conflict. And so there seemed to be these themes, seemed to be these connections. More than just stress causes cancer because it's bad for the system, there seems to be some rhyme and reason as to why this cancer, why on the right breast and not the left? Why, why is it here and not there? Why is the melanoma on uh, yeah, the left shoulder? There are specific reasons that he began to discover. And he put together one other really critical piece that turns this from, again, just psychosomatic, stress causes cancer, emotions affect the body, to 
there's a science going on here is he knows here are people having you know emotional experiences of trauma and here's a physical change that's taking place so there has to be a mediator and the brain being the master control computer of the entire body mediating the outside world to the inside world he looked in the brain and ct scans were very new at the time but he started looking at brain ct scans and he saw so when a person had a specific type of conflict um, so the loss, the separation, the morsel conflict, the death fright, the specific type of shock, there is a specific area in the brain that has a circle, a measurable impact in the brain, and that area of the brain controls the organ. And so this is psyche brain organ. This is the first biological law. It's also called the iron rule of cancer. So for every cancer, there is a shock. There is a, and this affects the psyche. So the psyche isn't just the mind. The psyche is like your entire sensory apparatus. Everything about you that's detecting, you know, the temperature, sounds, everything that's going on in your environment, your, your psyche, your beingness is picking up on it. And the moment that there is a conflict, a shock, something that you could not anticipate, caught you on the wrong foot, caught you completely unprepared. You feel very isolated in that moment. You feel all alone. You feel like it's just me and I, and, and this might be it. You know, it's a survival-based moment of shock. And the body, depending on the specific way that your psyche perceives that event. And that's the thing is everybody's psyche is different. Everybody's personal, um, individual experiences and then also like your ancestral experiences are all programmed into you and how you happen to see this event. Um, so, you know, just a, a car accident or a divorce may you might think, oh, they're going to have a death fright for a car accident. Oh, they're going to have a, a loss conflict for a divorce. But that's not true. Every person perceives their experience of the situation in their own unique way but the psyche brain organ is always there there's the shock there's a measurable area a circle in the brain of impact and then there is the organic tissue adaptation mm. um, so that's the first biological law cool yeah i mean we can see it with childhood trauma right like even just exploring that which of course plays into this whole um, concept of health and disease but two children in a, one family can go through um, witnessing their parents get divorced, but like the, the bio-individual nature of that child and the soul and the way they came into the world and are they more sensitive, are they more, you know, resilient, whatever, it affects them in completely different ways. Like, I mean, we see that just with humans in general, we are all impacted by things so differently based on like the myriad of things that make up our individual psyche. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, that's what's so interesting about this is everybody, you know, but but when you can see that if this if this conflict or if this um, tissue adaptation, so if there is a glandular breast tumor, there had to have been a nest worry, you know, and these are these categories that Dr. Hammer discovered, and there is going to be an impact in the cerebellum. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we can work from any different level. We can look at, you know, the organic symptom to help us to figure out where the impact is going to be in the brain. We can go from the brain to the psyche. And this is Dr. Hammer studied thousands, tens of thousands of cases, and he would not write it down. He would not codify it in the system of the biological laws if it wasn't consistent and reproducible and accurate. And that's why this is the most scientific understanding of the human body that's ever existed because it's law. It's, he found it to be consistent 100% of the time. Okay, the second law. So the second law is the law of two phases. And so uh, this is another just fascinating discovery Dr. Hammer found about the way that um, 
our biology operates. And so in medicine, they've they've classified, you know, several hundred hot diseases, several hundred cold diseases, and they just, you know, they see them as separate entities, separate processes going on, but actually they're part of one whole process. And so we have our normal day-night rhythm. And if you look at the, 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 the chart of the second biological law, it's really helpful to see it. So you have like a straight line and then you have um, an up wave and a down wave, you know? Mm -hmm. And so normally during the day, we're in the up wave that we're more sympathetic active. So that's fight or flight. And then in the evening, we shift to more parasympathetic. That's the rest and digest. Um, and so that's our normal day night rhythm. Now, the moment you have a shock, the moment the thing catches you off guard, you weren't prepared for the body shifts into heightened sympathetic activity. Mm -hmm. So this is fight or flight. This is when you're not eating, your hands and feet are cold, you're preoccupied, you're worried about this thing, you know, your, your blood pressure is up, you're kind of you're waking up at night, or you're not able to fall asleep because this thing is just weighing on you. There's an unresolved conflict and you are trying to figure it out. And so every moment you're in conflict, there's some type of specific adaptation occurring, again, depending on how your psyche perceived the event, which biological program got kicked off. And so during that time, there's going to be either cell growth of the tissue, cellular loss or functional loss. Those are like the three categories of things that happen during conflict activity. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's happening every moment. Every moment that you're in the conflict, there's adaptation occurring. Uh, the more intense the conflict is and the longer it goes on, the more intense um, the tissue adaptation is. You know, the body, it's just, you know, it's one for one. And so every moment that you're in the conflict, the body is adapting to help you in the way that it's programmed to. And then the moment that you resolve the conflict, the sigh of relief, you get the news, everything's okay, you shift your perspective, you forgive, something occurs within you, where you go from this story, this conflict, it's unresolved to, um, my mentor says, the, the stone has dropped from your soul. <sighs> That's that, that sense of relief, it's over. You know, we, we can put an end to it. Then the body shifts from into that sympathetic. And so that's also the cold phase is the, the sympathetic fight or flight phase. That's the cold phase. Now we shift into the warm phase. And so the moment of resolution marks the change from heightened sympathetic activity to heightened parasympathetic activity. So now the body is in healing. You know, this is also called the healing phase, the restoration phase. So the tissues during the active conflict, so again, tissues were increased, so more tissue, less tissue or functional loss. During the healing phase, if there was extra tissue, so let's say you grew a tumor in your breast or in your lung during the active conflict, now that extra tissue is no longer needed and it's decomposable tissue. You know how they say when they look at cancer cells, oh, they look different than normal cells. Well, that's because they're temporary. They're meant to help you during the shock experience, they're meant to be decomposable. And so during the healing phase, the body breaks it down. And so this is when per a person will typically get diagnosed with an infection. And so even the word infection is something got into you has infected an area and it's causing problems. And so we need to disinfect it. We need to take an antibiotic. We need to clear out. We need to, you know, take rubbing alcohol and clear out whatever was there because we're seeing it as a wrongness. We're seeing it as something got where it's not supposed to be. But when you really learn how this works, you'll see that the bacteria that have become active in this region of the body are doing a job. They are seasonal workers and now's their time to shine. They're the firefighters that come in to clean 
up the area. So again, if tissue was built up, it's going to be decomposed. If tissue was eroded or lost during the active conflict, it's going to be restored. And so that's what's happening when a person enters into the healing phase, this phase uh, um, after the conflict, that's when you're fatigued. This is when you feel sick. This is when you have a fever, a headache, swelling, pain, coughing, discomfort happens during healing for the mm -hmm. most part. So those are, that's the point at which, you know, the allopathic or the natural model, more natural model would be prescribing things to um, help you get better. But really this German new medicine paradigm is like, thank you body. You're doing your job. This is, this is the healing process. And so according to German new medicine, you wouldn't interfere with this process, correct? Yes. So because it depends on what we're dealing with. And so we wouldn't say blanket, you'd never do anything about it because there are situations where the conflict um, was of a certain level of intensity. It lasted for a certain period of time where you may want to help um, support the body during the healing phase. Um, but the interesting thing is, is you don't want to dampen. Often what we want to do is enhance what's going on here um, in order for the body to be able to swing back. And so that yeah. kind of gets a more complicated, um, again, certain um, conflicts may not be survivable if they lasted for more than nine months. Dr. Hammer discovered this fascinating thing about heart attacks. And if you were conflicted for more than nine months with a territorial loss or sexual conflict, that the healing phase actually can result in a fatal pulmonary embolism or heart attack. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are ways to help to amplify what's going on because it's basically you, you go so deep into vagotonia, so deep into parasympathetic, you know, there's got to be this huge surge of sympathetic activity halfway through that's called the epicrisis. And this happens for even the smallest little conflict. And so one of the best ways, you know, it's kind of hard to jump right into, you know, of understand course. heart attacks and pulmonary embolisms, but sneezing, that's a great place to start. The sneeze is an epicrisis. It's a healing crisis of a stink conflict. And so I always pay attention to when I sneeze, I, I almost sneezed earlier today because my I had a session and my internet wasn't working. And I was like, oh, this stinks because I've had this issue for the last couple of weeks with this person. And I was just, you know, frustrated in that moment yeah. to be having internet issue yet again with the same person um and so i could feel just a little tickle i didn't have a full sneeze because again the intensity of the conflict determines you know what how much adaptation happened you know i addressed it pretty quickly it wasn't a major thing so it wasn't like a huge sneezing fit it was just a little tickle of oh and i knew that it was because i was a little annoyed <laughs> frustrated right. about the internet <laughs> so before we move to the third law like i see a place here um for so conflict resolution within the body, you don't want to be interfering necessarily most of the time with the healing process and seeing symptoms as a healing uh, expression of the body doing its job. But to resolve the conflict right between that stage one and two, something happens and then your body's drifting into um, the cold, like uh, sympathetic state chronically. How do people or what tools maybe do uh, does German New Medicine uh, preach to help people get like a clearer um, idea of, you know, it's not the end of the world or um, yeah. How do you, how can you help resolve that before you're, you know, chronically nine plus months or years or lifetimes probably for some people um, dwelling on the thing that is actually making you sick? 
Yes. And that is learning to think biologically is a big thing in GNM GHK because you have to think from the point of view of biology. You know, so for example, if you lose a pet mm -hmm. and your conflict is about the loss of the pet, re re replace the pet. If you lose a partner and your conflict is about the loss of a partner, like the most practical, again, we got to think about nature. When we think about, you know, humans and human emotion and sentimentality and attachment, we kind of have to think more like our biological ancestors who were very practical, you know, mm -hmm. so we want to find, and that's always going to be the, the fastest resolution is the most practical biological resolution, which is, you know, change locations, go do the thing, like actually, you know, leave the situation, but we stay for all sorts of complex reasons. We stay mm -hmm. because of what other people think we don't do the thing we need to do because of insecurity you know there's so much like layered in there so learning to think biologically being more simple like practically oriented to what's truly important to you um you know those are some things that can very much help what i teach people is self-awareness is that you have to be aware of what's going on within you and why you feel the way that you feel about the stuff that's going on you know because most of the time it's like a lingering background feeling a conflict happened and it's just it colored everything that i see Everything that I see about myself and the world and how I engage, it's all being colored by these past experiences and I'm not even aware of it. And so I first have to draw into awareness, you know, what wakes me up at night? <laughs> what am I just vaguely concerned about being unresolved? You know, what are the unresolved issues in my life story that, you know, bring anxiety into my experience? And so really identifying, because if it stays like just the vague looming feeling, you may never really identify. And if it happened years ago, it can be even more difficult to even understand why do I always just feel bad vaguely all the time? <laughs> feel like somebody's mad at me. I just always feel like I'm not doing enough. You know, like those, you know, that can be a self-devaluation that's like always going on. You know, it can be rather subtle and you may overlook it, you know, because yes, the conflict shocks are something in a moment that catches you off guard. But once it happens and it's kind of changed your perception of yourself, it can become rather subtle because you're so used to it. You're so used to seeing life through the lens of loss or money fear or something being wrong with you or jealousy um, that you don't even see it as a problem. So you have to notice it, recognize it and start drawing those connections to what am I thinking about? What am I feeling? And what's going on in my body? What symptoms are expressing? Well, I noticed that in myself. And I think, I think an issue I see here is that so many of the beliefs that we pick up about ourselves in the world occur at such a young age where there isn't necessarily one memory like that aha moment. Right. But I've, I've noticed in myself in a past relationship where like so much of my like childhood patterning came up and I was like, who is this person? Like talking about myself, who is this person? Like all, you know, the anxious attachments and the stories and the low self-worth, um, I think so often we think this is my personality, you know, like this is how I am instead of saying like, hold up, <laughs> you know, I can grow from this. I can change this. And this is not working for me. Um, what do we do when we don't remember the initial cause? Or, I mean, we can also dissect to death, right? I, sometimes I get exhausted with my own capacity to like analyze myself. So is there, yeah. What tool other than awareness is there? Or is it just radical self-awareness. Well, one thing that you said that was really good is actually a quote from Dr. Hammer that our personality is a sum total of our biological conflicts. You know, so the stuff that we think is just the way that I am. Totally. It's it's our conflicts. And you know how like when you meet someone who's very similar to a person that you've known before or they like 
kind of trauma happened to them, which has caused, you know, them to kind of manifest the same personality because it's, you know, it's the biological conflict. Um, so when you can't remember, you know, one is like the art of asking the right questions, you know, and that's something that I'm always evolving in and my ability to kind of help people to identify their conflicts is, you know, asking the right questions and helping a person to really, you know, look at the areas and see it in a new way because it may not stand out to you um, right away. But the tracks and triggers. So tracks and triggers, this is again, when something becomes chronic, is that you're constantly in your environment being reminded of the original conflict because the body at the moment that you have the conflict shock your body is extremely sensitive and that's why if you think back remember the smell in the air you can remember you know like the exact kind of angle of the sun you remember the the room what you were wearing what you were because the body has heightened your awareness in that moment of all of the elements because it wants to be aware should this happen again it's programmed into you if there is a you know an animal down at the water hole and there's a juniper bush and then the tiger comes out to get it and you know it just barely gets away it's going to program in juniper bush being by water at 3 p.m in the afternoon Woo! watch out not a good place yeah a good place and so the body's going to reactivate whatever survival program you know went on in that moment just as a preemptive just to keep you safe and so that's what allergies are that's what intolerances are it's not the food it's not the thing you know it's not the pollen it's not the season it's that the season for you is mm-hmm. tied to your conflict and your body has this embedded memory of okay uh, it's something stunk. And so I have hay fever every time, you know, I get uh, around this, you know, this season, this pollen, this tree, because it's just been programmed in. And so that can help you to to remember, okay, what was going on in in May, in April? Because every May, every April, I get these symptoms. And so that though the triggers are clues that harken back to the original conflict. And so we we can work backwards if you can't fully remember. And a lot of the programs, like separation-based programs, part of it is memory loss, so that you can kind of numb yourself and actually forget the thing that you were so worried about. So if you can't remember about it uh, and remember what it was, don't stress about it. That's my recommendation to people because some people start to you know freak out and get anxious or worried that they'll never be able to resolve their conflict because they have a bad memory or they can't remember it just trust you know i you know everything that you need to know is programmed within you you know every memory that you need to see it's there um and so just allow yourself to see what you can see and seeing what you can see and kind of an energy of calm curiosity will allow you eventually to see what you haven't seen yet to have that moment to have that insight I also, I mean, I felt this for a long time and it just so fits into this concept perfectly that we attract dynamics um, so that we can resolve them. And so one memory I obviously don't have is of not co-sleeping with my parents. Um, You know, they did what they thought was actually best for me. I had my own room. I had my own crib. Once in a while, I would cry myself to sleep because the narrative was, you know, it's fine. They won't remember, you know, it's, it's all good. But when I was in about year two, I would have been like, you know, a tiny little kid in school. Um, I was volunteering rubbing the backs of the kids like two years younger than me. So I would have been like seven and I volunteered. I was the youngest and like it was usually the like near high school kids, but I was there rubbing backs for the younger kids to sue them to sleep. And I had that I have a vivid memory of. And it is such right. It was such a corrective experience for me and exploring my own you know, concepts of trauma. I realized how that like like deep abandonment wound of, you know, crying out for your parents as a baby. And so as a young child, I already had this embedded knowing like this is not how kids are supposed to fall asleep. They're supposed to be touched and held and caressed. So when 
you, if you do come to realize, right, I didn't co-sleep, I was in a crib. Um, it caused a serious conflict in me. What do I do with that information? Oh, well, what do you do? That's such a good question. Um, you know, so you, you become aware of it. Mm -hmm. And when you realize that it can't happen again, that's, um, that's what uh, Helmut Pilhar, he's the he was Dr. Hammer's lecturer, and uh, that's one of his his things is that when the conflict can't happen again, and this is why kids like often will grow out of allergies or grow out of you know some symptom asthma that they had when they were a kid. There's this realization of what happened to me then can't happen to me now, you know. And I've learned this lesson. I can I can move forward, and it is. I think you're right about attracting these experiences that allow us to see things. It's like ooh, and that and that's such a fun element of looking at everything in your life, all of the people, all the situations, all the circumstances. It's like what is this calling me towards? What is this allowing me to see about myself? What seems like a struggle? Because if I can find the answer to this, if I can resolve this, yeah. you know, this might be kind of my big, like a life, life story arc of, of this unresolved thing. And that's why what keep getting in the same relationships with the same types of people. Of it's because we have the kinds of people that also remind us of one of our caregivers, right? There's this like, uh, this element of something from childhood that was not, you know, optimal. And so we attract it. And it's like this opportunity life is giving us to, to have a corrective experience. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And when you realize that what happened to me then can't happen to me now, the story is complete. You know, I, I see it. I, I learned the lesson. I extracted what I needed to know and that, and, and it's made me stronger, you know, and that's the thing about conflicts is they, they're kind of beautiful in the sense mm -hmm. of, of personal evolution of me learning. Like if I have a chronic physical um, pain, that's a chronic self devaluation. There's some way in which I am not feeling enough. I'm feeling broken. I'm feeling like there's something wrong with me. And that narrative has just been pounded in day in and day out, you know? And so I, I keep getting these symptoms and the symptoms in and of themselves are huge invitations to continue the devaluation, which is why the conditions that seem to progress or get worse over time, it's simply because like the symptoms themselves, you know, if you don't understand how to frame them because you don't have the five biological laws, you see, you see it as more brokenness. You see mm -hmm. it you know, as more stuckness, more of this problem. And if you keep reacting to it in the same way, and that's where, you know, um, to, to feel uh, that you are just a victim, you know, of life, of the stuff that's happened to you, you know, there's nothing I can do, you know, kick me while I'm down, I've got this physical problem, I've got these life problems, and nothing, you know, life just keeps getting worse, I keep getting beat, beaten up is what it feels like. And you really do feel like a victim of your circumstances, victim of your, your genetics, victim of your physical body, you just feel so oppressed um and, and it's an invitation to see to step outside of the experience to see it in a new way and and that's the thing is, is some of these patterns are very deeply hard to break i was just you know recently working with someone who's in their 70s and it's like you know bravo for even trying to kind of go there and i and i get it's so difficult to see these patterns to make these connections to remember these things because you're just a fish in water to your patterns and you don't see them and they are they just are everywhere they seem like isness they seem like this is just the way it is the way i am the way the world is there doesn't seem to be any wiggle room for perspective but when you allow yourself to wiggle and you start to you know open up to these new ideas and perspectives you can start to see oh this actually i thought this was coming from the outside world but it's coming from 
how I am processing the outside world. And, you know, and I don't have to, no one's to blame for that. It just is. It's the way that you've adapted to the environments that you've been in. So it makes perfect sense. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, it's all changeable and work withable. And when you kind of like, you know, play with these ideas, we can stretch your mind and we can stretch beyond the limits that, you know, you thought were just physical reality, unchangeable. This isn't ever going to change. And you can start see really cool things change. We'll get to the third law, but you mentioned victim consciousness, and this was actually a question, like, is victim consciousness the the cause of disease, like essentially over identifying with your problems and the incapacity to overcome like that is right what keeps us trapped in this place of, of not like fulfilling the cycle of like the awareness right something happens. And there's a growth opportunity and to continue to like kind of cycle through that and grow as humans. I mean, we incarnate into this planet. We're not enlightened. So it's like this, this, pro, this pro, beautiful, I agree, process of growth. Um, but if you get trapped as the victim, it's like game over. Well, and so many victims have woken up though, but you know, but when you're in it, you're in it and you, and you find other who want who can verify and validate your victim status and we we love our scapegoats i wrote a post about that this morning we we love to have you know once i find oh it's the gene oh it's this disease oh it's this germ oh i've got lyme oh i've got oh i've got a label once mm -hmm. i've got a label oh, there's some type of sigh of relief because it's not me you know there and and that's the thing is like the the line between it's all coming from me versus oh so i'm just to blame for everything right. you know the confident um, and that's how people tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater and they don't read um, enough or ponder enough to get the nuance that person taking 100% personal responsibility isn't, oh, I'm just to blame for all of my problems and it's all me. I mean, that attitude reveals your lack of kind of really understanding the depth of what the transformation could be for you if you're willing to look through this new lens. And so, yeah, the victim consciousness. Well, ultimately, when you think about it, too, from like a biological perspective. Mm -hmm. about an animal in captivity think about an animal that is like it can't do anything it can't get out you know there's nothing i can do my hands are tied i'm powerless that's victim mm -hmm. you know and if there's nothing i can do i've got no power my body is going to be adapting because if i'm an animal in a dangerous situation and i see that there's no way out my body's like let me turn on all these switches let me adapt all of these tissues so we can help you to get out of this you know, this life-threatening environment where you don't have control anymore, you know, you having autonomy and control and freedom, you know, that's like, think about, again, like a tiger, like a, some type of wild animal that's in cage and it can't get out. It's going to try it. That's why, you know, animals in cages get diseases. It's because they're constantly adapting to this unnatural environment. And when we see ourselves as a victim of life and of the world, we are in an unnatural environment because more than anything, the life principle wants to be free. You know, we want freedom to grow freedom. And that's why plants grow up through cement because they are, that's, that's their natural impulse is to grow. Your natural impulse as an evolving human being is to grow. And when something constrains, it feels like, you know, I feel like I'm a victim and I can't grow anymore. The body's going to adapt to that. And so I do think ultimately it is, it's the feeling that there's nothing I can do. I'm just a victim. And you live in that consciousness. That's the dis-ease state. Yeah, I think the pendulum too within the like the framework of these old, not even old models, but anyways, these other models of the allopathic and, and holistic 
um, a lot of people aren't believed, right? They feel things, they don't feel well. And so as soon as they are given a diagnosis, they're like, finally, someone's hearing me. And then the pendulum swings too far and they identify with the diagnosis to the point where it goes in their Instagram bio or, you know, it's their handle. And it's like this, it, it, there is a, a necessity to, to explore that shadow of like, what does one get from that? And how is that feeding the beast? Because yeah, there's, there's sympathy and there's, um, you're getting a lot of things that maybe we haven't gotten from childhood, which again, maybe is exploring that, like you're attracting a dynamic that you need to explore, um, to heal from, because there are a lot of benefits, you know, people want to heal, but they're not willing to step in and explore like the totality, I guess, of what needs to be explored to truly transcend and yeah, heal illness. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it, and it is, it's, am I willing to, you know, the, cause that is, we have safety. Once we have the label, we have safety, you know, and so that, that makes us feel safer than we were before. And that's why people will reject this you know, this new idea is because it feels like I'm snatching your safety away of your diagnosis of, of, of your answer. I finally found my answer. It's, it's this bacteria, it's this genetic condition. It's this, this uncontrollable thing, but at least I know what it is. And when they feel like that's being threatened from them, there's this, you know, lack of safety, which causes you to lash out with anger, with all sorts of things, because you're not seeing how you're clinging to safety in something that um, is this label. And I think you're right about people attracting the exact circumstances to help bring this to light. Um, and it is the shadow and, and it is very interesting to explore. And so many people have kind of gotten out. They've, they've been in it. They've been so deep in it and, you know, by degrees and through experience, they kind of cracked through that shell and they grew, they grew beyond, you know, the label, they grew beyond it and they were able to see, wow, it really was, you know, it was all coming from things I was desperately clinging to for safety. When I realized that the safety comes from, you know, accessing the real me, who I really am beyond the labels, beyond the trauma, beyond the stuff that happened to me, because, you know, you do, you glue yourself to the trauma um, when you identify with it, when you identify, it becomes who you are. And uh, rather than seeing it as, you know, I love the concept of anti-fragility which is everything that happens makes you stronger. It doesn't break you. You're not fragile. Um, you are you are robust. You are anti-fragile. Everything that's ever happened to you has made you more equipped, stronger, more able, more capable of having, doing, being all the things that you desire. It's not a reason that you can't have, do, be all the things that you desire. And often that's how we see it. We see because I was traumatized, because I was abused, that's broken me in ways that now I can't get what I want. And so we settle for group identification um, and the rewards that we do get from that because there are inherent rewards to, you know, being a member of the club of all the people who have this problem. Mm -hmm. That reminds me, I'm, when I was in the throes of heartbreak, I heard, I heard um, hearts don't break, they break open. And it's that concept, right? It's, it's a subtle difference, but it's a huge difference. It's like, it breaks you open to like so much, so much information about yourself, about how you operate, about how you feel, but the, the, the nuances, you're not a victim. Um, and I'll quote you because I actually wrote this down and it's exactly what you're saying is that health belongs to those who are willing to permanently cut ties with the things, people, and situations that make them sick. I think that's another big one is that for some people, their entire reality is constructed around the things that are actually driving illness. 
And if they want to heal, it might look like pulling the rug, you know, out from under, but it's how, I guess, how badly do you want to heal? Yeah. And that can seem, you know, kind of harsh, like, yo, we got to cut people out. But I don't even mean that in like that you have, you have to cut ties with how you've been relating to the totally. things, the situations. Like, you know, like you don't actually have to, I mean, sometimes you will actually cut things and people out of your life. And that's very mm. beneficial can be. Um, but, you know, it, it is all about my experience and my relationship to things. And that's the thing that I do with people is like, I'm no longer interested in a person's diet. I'm no longer interested in, you know, their exercise routine. I'm interested in their relationship to exercise. I'm interested in your relationship to food, your relationship Speaking to my language. It's never the thing. It's always the relationship the thing. thing. No. And it really is like that with people too. It's funny in, in relationships, which is probably my Achilles heel, like where this kind of manifests itself or my like pattern loops most, um, it's so easy to say you do this, but it's a dynamic, right? There's always a polarity and you play, it's like two puzzle pieces with people. So in terms of not having to cut people out of your life, it's like a, a toxic, I don't even really like that word, but anyways, dynamic, an unhealthy dynamic is perpetuated by both people participating in it. So it's like, instead of saying, I'm going to cut this person out of my life. It's like, can I show up differently? Because you can't have a war without two people. It literally takes a dynamic to create something. So can I heal the way I show up to shift the energy and the dynamic? And if not, of course, maybe some relationships have to end. Um, but yeah, it's like taking radical res responsibility for how we show up. Mm. Totally. Mm -hmm. Okay, third law. I won't keep okay. you here all day. <laughs> Third law, this one is the, the biological compass um, of GNM. And this has to do with these colored, um, if you're not, if you're listening on the podcast, there's this colored chart with the, the yellow, the orange, and the red. And so this is the mapping of the tissue types of the body. So when you're just a tiny little embryo, um, your, your, your very first tissues that develop, the, they differentiate into three layers, functionally four layers. And so the oldest layer is the endoderm. And this is controlled from the oldest portion of the brain, which is the brain brainstem. Um, and then we have the mesoderm, which is controlled from the cerebellum and cerebral medulla. And then we have the red layer, which is the ectoderm, and that is the um, cerebral cortex. So that's the newest, most recently evolved brain. Um, and so depending on which tissue, so when you have a symptom, this is how it's use, useful for you. When you have a symptom, we have to find out what, what tissue type is it? Because like the surface of your skin versus like the gland versus the muscle, they all have, they, they come from different origins. Mm -hmm. And so we have to look at the tissue type that we're dealing with. So with the yellow, that's the oldest. These are the things that have to do with the most basic survival functions. So think about the most simplistic organism. You know, it's not worried about its social standing. It's not worried about self-esteem. All it's worried about is eating, reproducing, and breathing. It's like mm -hmm. basic, basic, basic. That's what the yellow group is. Um, and so this uh, is the, the digestive tract, the alveoli of the lungs. And so this tissue, when it's in conflict, it grows there's more of it. We need more digestive juices, more ability to absorb oxygen, more ability to absorb nutrients. There's tissue growth in this, um, in the brainstem uh, derived tissues, the endodermal derived tissues. Um, and that one, so during conflict activity, remember when it's in the cold phase, when you're in the conflict active, heightened fight or flight, there's going to be tissue growth. 
Then once that conflict is resolved, there's tissue decomposition using ancient bacteria like tubercular bacteria. So what we call tuberculosis is not an infectious lung disease. What it is, is a person who experienced a death fright conflict. They grew extra cells in their lung. And then during the healing phase, when they're coughing up blood, that's actually the body in healing. So the bacteria, the tubercular bacteria is eating away the extra tissue cells and you're coughing up blood and mucus. Now, the thing about the endodermal tissues is during the healing phase, the tubercular bacteria, they require a lot of protein. So people who died of consumption, what they called it back in the day of, you know, this lung where they're just like coughing up a lung, they don't actually die because of, you know, what they're calling this, this disease. They die because of malnutrition because the, the process takes a lot of protein. So if you ever have night sweats, night sweats are a golden sign that you are in the healing phase and that the tubercular bacteria are active um, and you are moving through something. And so you need to be eating um, good protein during that phase to help to support that healing phase. So that's, you know, one element that, you know, nutrition does play um, a prominent role in allowing you to successfully complete the program and allow your body to decompose those cells. But when we, you know, hyper sanitize and we don't have access to that bacteria, you know, they do their best to try to, you know, they uh, take all the bacteria out of milk, which is terrible. Pasteurization is awful your sucks <laughs> and he was a fraud and terrible uh, because he has made it everyone oh thank god for pasteurization no not i want i want the bacteria in my mouth because that's what allows you know us to get our into our bodies these very helpful um little microsurgeons because no surgeon can do what the tubercular bacteria can do it can eat away just the tumor not any of the normal good tissue. It doesn't have to break through your ribs. It doesn't have to sedate you and put you under anesthesia. From the inside out, the tubercular bacteria decompose and uh, get rid of a lung tumor or a colon tumor. That's how good they are. Um, and so we should be so uh, respecting of these bacteria rather than trying to eradicate them. Um, so that's the old brain. Then we've got the the two portions. So I rem remember I said functionally for the um, middle layer. So this mesoderm, this orange, there's the old mesoderm and the new. The old acts more like the old brain. And so this is controlled from the cerebellum. This is the um, these protective layers. So the theme of the old mesoderm is protection. Um, and so uh, Dr. Hammer talks about like these are all you see this over the course of evolution. So again, the oldest, now when animals went from the water onto the land, they needed a protective layer. That's what this old mesoderm is. This is this protective layer. It's the deeper layer of your skin. It's where acne comes from, where melanomas come from. Um, the pleura, the peritoneum, the protective layers of our around our organs. And these tissues get thicker during the conflict. So there's a little protective shield. That's what that's what I've turned, you know, from hating acne to understanding that acne is simply my body building a little protective shield against something I felt attacked or soiled by, you mm. know, and so your body builds up a shield. And then when the shield is no longer needed, it decomposes it using bacteria. And so that's that's what's happening with this layer. Um, then we've got the new mesoderm. The new mesoderm is also called the, the luxury group. This one's very interesting. It behaves differently than, than the other ones. During the conflict activity for um, new mesodermally derived tissues, which are the connective tissues of the body, so bones, muscles, ligaments, tendons, um, anything that gives the body structure, fascia, fat tissue, 
And so these ones behave with tissue lost during the active conflict. So you're breaking yourself down. When you devalue yourself, your body is getting a message, I'm not enough. I'm not enough, I'm not fast enough, strong enough, smart enough, good enough. Um, I'm, I'm not a good partner, I'm not, a, I'm not good enough in general. And so there's a breakdown of tissue during the active conflict. And so the biological meaning doesn't occur for this group until after the conflict has been resolved. So you're decomposing tissue during the active phase, then when you resolve it, then there is healing. And so after the healing phase, it's like after you break a bone, the bone is stronger. After you resolve a self-devaluation conflict, the tissue is more robust. The lymph node is bigger, the muscle is bigger, the bone is bigger. You see this with people who've got like rheumatoid arthritis, um, which is simply an ongoing self-devaluation conflict related to your hands. So this could be your, your work, your physical performance, your ability to grasp something what you can't hold oh i couldn't hold on to it and your your joints get bigger and bigger that's part of the program it's because you're you've so deeply devalued yourself that your body is built um at, as you go in and out of this conflict you build up more and more more robust tissue bigger bigger bones bigger joints um because that's a biological solution to the feeling of i'm not enough i'm not able i'm not capable i'm not big enough the body says let me make it bigger <laughs> and it tries to help you and so all the biological programs they are gifts from nature. They are nature's attempt to help you to adapt to the environment that you are in, to help you to better survive it. You know, so whether or not you understand your symptom as a gift of nature, and some people think I'm absolutely crazy for even that like an ovarian cyst or you know a prostate enlargement is actually your body doing something to help you to survive. It's not trying to kill you. That's very hard for some people to especially if you've had someone who's passed away um, allegedly because of this cancer um, or this extra growth. But you know, if you dig a little deeper, often it's not the cancer itself that ends up killing a person. It's the fear, it's the intervention, it's all the stuff we do around the cancer that causes it to um, be the demise of a person. The person's fear, I mean, that's the number one, I think, crime um, against humanity that conventional medicine has been, is the implanting of any bump lump change on my tissue flesh automatic i think i'm gonna die <laughs> i go on a webmd i think i'm gonna die and that's well, the biggest i think this is what like truly woke me up to so much of what is going on it was like maybe 2014 i read lissa rankin's book um mind over medicine i think it was and she just spoke about how like the statistics of being diagnosed with three months to live you know cancer you've got three months to live the person dies three months to the date the autopsy there was no cancer like the power of our mind is so incredible for the, for the good and the bad. I mean, the, to be told you have a diagnosis, which can bring a degree of relief, but really like the weight of what we place on diagnosis in general is so heavy. That's wild. This is wild. There's the red category you haven't touched on yet. I'm like, I'm in, I, I love you. Honestly, this is so amazing. And I think Definitely, there's two kinds of people, right? I can't, to me, this is so empowering. It's like unbelievable. And of course, there's a lot of responsibility, which I think plays a big role. There's there's a degree of like, drive my car, you know, white coat, you're going to tell me what to do. And I'm not going to have to think about it because I don't want to deal with the responsibility of fucking it up. And I'd rather die under the, you know, guidance of a lab coat and think there's nothing I could have done than take the responsibility and risk it. But for me, it's like, yes, these are like, I don't know. I live for this. This is like, it, you're 
you're amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it is, it's stunning. And I love that you're on that level where it's just like, this is so cool. This is, this is everything because when you understand, and this is why it's so threatening to the system, which is why it's not legalized, which is why Dr. Hammer was, you know, threatened and harassed and jailed and, you know, treated and why the Wikipedia page, you know, it's like, it's all to, you know, discredit and to get people not interested in even looking in this area because it causes everything crumbles, everything changes, everything has to all, all it has of the to crumble. This has to crumble. Look at the state of the world. Like this, I feel like this is um, the moment for like this to kind of shine through and give people an, an alternative. Because I know one of the reasons why this injection has been so popular is because people want an answer, right? Here's the fear. And whenever you introduce fear, you need, you know, it's very, it's, it's people are ripe for being served anything because it's like fear answer. And this is an alternative solution. It's an alternative way of living for people to quell the fear because the fear is so, is so real. Yeah, totally. And it is. And when you understand it, so like with the red, yeah. the red group, um, this is the superficial tissues of like the body. So this is what lines ducts. This is what the skin is. So this is the ectoderm and the ectoderm responds with cell loss during the active phase. And so, but the biological meaning is during the cellular loss. So for example, skin rashes. Mm -hmm. So skin rashes have to do with a separation conflict. Either I'm missing contact, I want to bring someone close to me, or I do not want this contact to get very far away from me. And it depends depends on the area of the body. And so you look at the area of the body, you know, like the genitals, for example, um, all STDs for the most part, um, there's some nuances, but most of them are separation. I wished, I wish I did not have had that contact. <laughs> I wish for oh. this contact. And so when people develop some type of rash or outbreak or boil or something in their genital region, it's usually typically because of sexual regret where I wish I didn't have that contact. Why did I do that? Why did I have contact with that person? Why didn't I take more precautions? It's not It's not because you didn't take the precautions, but part of not taking the precautions increased your fear of having gotten something because of the ideology. And so it's not even necessarily that you, it's not about the transfer of particles. It's about the intensity of the experience. And so when we, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I'm loving this. Do you happen to know what the back of the neck is? In terms so of the, the neck has to, yeah, so the neck has to do with intellect. Um, and so, and it's going to be separation, you know, separation, you know, I'm not feeling understood. I'm feeling like there's a disconnect. Um, you know, it could be about something physically touching you at that area, someone who used to touch you on the neck here, and you're missing that contact or somebody touched you there and you're like, oh, I really wish you wouldn't touch me there. Um, some type of experience. So we look, look first at like a literal, so physical, literal, something that physically was touching you, someone that was touching you, you know, um, off loss like alopecia, someone who loses, you know, their hair. So who touched your head? Was it a wanted touch or an unwanted touch? Did a lovely grandma who used to pet your head and, and braid your hair pass away? And now you're missing that lovely comforting touch that she would give you. You may lose hair in that area, you know, or if somebody was touching your head here in a way that you didn't like that, you know, was uh, aggressive or indicated some type of abuse was about to happen and you desperately want to separate. And so the, the purpose is so there's loss during the active phase, which helps to numb you. The whole purpose is to numb the sensation 
irritation. So there's like micro erosions in the skin, um, which causes a numbing sensation. And there's also memory loss, because once again, the body's helping you to forget this person that you're either missing or you don't want to be near. Um, and then during the healing phase, that's when the rash happens, when the body comes into healing. So there's the micro erosions during the active conflict. So we're like digging a little ditch, and now we have to refill the ditch. When the ditch is getting refilled, that's when you have inflammation, that's when you have itching, that's when you think you've got a breakout of something, but simply it's cause and effect. You, the healing process itself is the inflammation, is the itching, is the uncomfortable sensation, the thing that you're visually seeing, you know, and once again, this is when a person thinks they have something and now we need to suppress it. So for skin conditions, people get steroids and the steroids don't fix the problem. What they do is they put your bo body biologically back into sympathetic activity. Um, so the symptom appears to go away, but uh, it doesn't fix the problem. As soon as you go off of it, it comes back because the body still has to, you dug the ditch. So mm -hmm. we're you just keep digging the ditch when you keep taking steroids. Um, let's dig the ditch even deeper so that you don't have to experience the healing, but you know, you rob Peter to pay, but eventually you're gonna have to go through the healing restoration phase. What I love about this too is like, you know, as a healthy person, I, I really value health. I've prioritized it for, you know, over a decade. And so when you get sick, there's this like shame, right? It's like, and, and it is, that's always, that itself has been a conflict within me because there's a degree of like, well, I shouldn't be, you know, expressing any symptoms, but this, with this new paradigm, it's like, no, the body came in contact with a conflict there's no avoiding conflict in life like life and conflict you know it's just a part of the human experience but to see your body working for you as opposed to like a weakness it's amazing it is and it's beautiful and, it, and that's the thing is you can't you know i i will still have little conflicts here and there and like little stuff will pop up and i love it because i learn every single time i learn about the subtlety that's one of the things about conflicts that really just got me like you know i had some you know some interesting symptoms and i was like gosh really i didn't think that i was that i didn't think i was that conflicted about this thing it seemed relatively minor on a scale of one to ten i was like maybe it was a two or three but it wasn't you know it wasn't big and it didn't i didn't think but my body heard it very differently than my conscious mind thought that I perceived it, you know? And so that's why the body doesn't lie. You can't lie to the body. The body reveals all. <laughs> the body <laughs> reveals all of the nuances, the depth and the degree of the experience that you had. Mm -hmm. And so when, you know, when I never, you know, I'm not trying to be perfect because it's not possible. Mm -hmm. All I'm trying to do is learn and learn sooner and sooner because the longer you sit in the conflict active phase, you know, and so once I identify, you know, the topic that this particular conflict was about, I was like, mm, this is pretty interesting. And I don't want to sit on that topic for too long in a discontented way, because, you know, I, I saw how sensitive my system is to adapting to, you know, vague notions of this concern. And so that that woke me up to how sensitive my body is, how, you know, I can think it's no big deal. But my tissues think otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so I have to go based on what my body um, and then I have to ask myself, am I willing to kind of sit in this problem and, and worry about this thing or think about it in a way that doesn't feel good? Um, or for the sake of my body, am I going to move on to the solution and get myself, because sometimes you do want to wallow sometimes, you know, and you have to, acknowledging how sometimes I want to wallow in problem and that I want to 
feel pity for myself. I want to feel like the victim. I want to feel wronged. Um, noticing that kind of, because a lot of times people are unwilling to acknowledge that because they're like, of course, I don't want to feel this. But you kind of have to see how you do want to feel it, how there's something about your story aspect, right? Like that's that, like, how is this serving me? And why am I willing to expose myself to this situation over and over? What I love about this too, is it makes you like the gatekeeper. I was writing about this in terms of like, um, taking care of your body as if it's your own child. And it really kind of highlights that is like, can you in a very embodied way, dissociate a little bit and observe your body as this thing you're taking care of. And like, am I willing to expose my body to this? Am I willing to dwell? Am I, how, like, how important is this, you know, degree of victimhood for me right now? Because it's going to have an impact on my body. So can I grow from this? Like, can you, can I be tired of my own bullshit here and now? So I can, you know, put this one behind me. Exactly. And that's the thing. And I call it being emo. When I sit in something, it's like I'm being emo. And I, I grew up in this very emo phase of music where it's like, oh, I'm sad and I'm just so sad. And look how sad I am and listen to the sad music. And it's, oh, and it, it's just dramatic. Exactly. It's just it's this emotion. And so I know, and that's how I can laugh at myself when I know I'm being like, I'm indulging in this, in this excessive emotion of feeling like a victim and I'm sitting in it because there's in like this actress part of me that just, oh, she just loves to play this role sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so, but when I know my tissues are at, at stake and that's the thing is a lot of people will sit in discontent and victimhood. And, you know, if, it, if it's just in their own mind, but when they start to know, oh, this is why my, my body's doing what it's doing. This is why I've got chronic diarrhea it's because i keep sitting in this it's like uh maybe for the sake of my for my own mental and emotional well-being mm -hmm. i'll i'll keep indulging but once my once i know that there's a direct connection to my body all right i'm gonna shape up all right i'm done with this i'm gonna move on to the solution and get out of the muck of this okay. experience so yes <laughs> i love it okay the fourth law the fourth law is the ontogenetic system of microbes. And so this is, I already touched on it a little bit, bacteria are our helpers, fungus are helpers, parasites are helpers. These little things in our bodies are there to decompose tissue. They are seasonal workers. They work off of demands from the brain. If you're not in a healing phase, they will not affect you. They will, you, you can get exposed to whatever, but if you do not have a healing phase where they are necessary, you will not get an infection that was in quotes for someone listening yeah. because there's no getting an infection there is the bacteria are turned on because they have a job to do they're turned off because either they don't have a job to do or you're in conflict activity um and so the uh, oldest brain that's the um tubercular bacteria the fungus the um certain bacterias operate in different layers of the tissue so in the new mesoderm there's different bacteria that help to say build up bone um now the red the red group is where the idea of um viruses exist now dr homer said viruses if they exist because there is no proof that a virus exists in the sense of you know it, even the word virus means poison the idea of the virus is that it gets on you and it causes something but that's not what's happening what's happening when so, when when someone says i have a virus i have hpv hpv hsv i've got uh you know COVID, whatever what that is it's just simply evidence of adaptation there is evidence at this particular tissue site that you have adapted you've had a conflict and there's been adaptation and when they swab it and they zoom in on it what they see 
is not a causative agent. They simply see evidence of adaptation. And that evidence they're taking to mean, this is what causes it. Let me try to vaccinate you against it. Doesn't work. There's no way in which that works. That's why the whole idea just falls away. A vaccination, of, it all just falls away. The, the typical interventions of, of what the, the bread and butter of the medical system is absolutely pointless when you understand that bacteria are seasonal workers and they're there to help you. And the things they call viruses don't even exist and they actually are simply evidence. So like in the cervix, you know, HPV doesn't cause genital warts. It's, if they find it there, it's simply evidence of adaptation. You know, when they look at the lungs and they say, oh, this is a, co no, there's just adaptation of a territorial fear conflict and, and they just happen to be labeling it in a particular way calling it something that it just isn't. I just started writing for Andy Kaufman. I'll have to have him on to discuss the, the, the non-science of viruses. Um, yeah, I love it. The chart that you have behind you, is it accessible to? The one place, um, Amici-D-Dirk, that's the way website where um, Dr. Hammer's publishing house, but it's currently out of stock and it has been for the last several weeks. So I can try to find some links and see if there's um, any that are available um, for purchase. But yeah, currently, um, though, I, I can't find it. So. I feel like I need it on my ceiling above <laughs> my bed so I can just study it at night. <laughs> um, the fifth stage of adaptation. No, the fifth, so the fifth law, the fifth law. Yes, yeah, so the fifth biological law kind of puts a bow on all of it. It's called the quintessence. And so this is this kind of big picture idea that there is no nothing malignant in nature. Everything in nature is meaningful. It is significant. It has purpose. You know, it's not disease. It's a significant biological special program. That's what these things are. They are they are programmed adaptations. You know, there's nothing in nature that is is diseased. And when you start to really recognize that the body does what it does for a reason, it's not because it's broken. It's not screwing up. There's not an error. There's not cancer just oh spreading throughout the body. The whole idea of uh, malignancy is a medical uh, misinterpretation that it's actually intentional adaptation to to conflict shocks. And when you see it through this lens and you start seeing, you know, nutrition as supporting the body. Nutrition doesn't cause or cure cancer. It is there to support the body. Supplements don't cause or cure cancer. They're there to support the body. You know, you can, in this whole system, it doesn't reject medicine. It uses it more intelligently because there are situations where people do need to use um, surgery. We do need to use certain, you know, like uh, even medications. For example, if a person has had an ongoing thyroid conflict for years and years, so basically there's tissue buildup, breakdown, buildup, breakdown, buildup, breakdown in the thyroid, they actually can have a, no more thyroid tissue like it's melted away essentially because of the ongoing conflict you need to take thyroid hormone exogenously you need to take a pill you, you know if you have had a um pancreas conflict having to do with resistance or fear disgust and your you know your your beta alpha islets are no longer functioning you need insulin and so it's like okay well that's that's just how it works you know when you have had an adaptation for such a long time that you have um uh, created either a very large uh, tumor that's blocking a passageway or there's some type of adaptation that you need assistance, you can use that. Um, you can use it confidently for one, because a lot of people feel, you know, when they have to, you know, take a thyroid um, 
hormone uh, medication or take something, they feel like they're betraying their holistic roots. And they're like, oh, if I was really good, I wouldn't even need this. But it's like, sometimes you need it. Sometimes the adaptations that you've experienced because of your life, you know, and when you encountered this information, you know, it's kind of already uh, adapted to a point where you need um, external help. And that's totally okay. And you should feel so great about knowing that it's not because you know that there's something inherently wrong with you it's just adaptation it's just kind of how it happens sometimes with adaptation if it's happened for a long time or needing a surgery needing a surgery is not you know you didn't lose the being holistic game <laughs> you know like and people often will uh, look at it like that but when you get it when you understand the biological laws when you see you know why it is that you need this or that medication or this or that intervention you can do it peacefully and you can do it in a way that feels very good to you very aligned with your big picture understanding of why the body does what it does i must say i feel so grateful to have discovered this before having kids in this lifetime like the gift of raising humans with this, you know, concept conflict resolution is amazing. Incredible. I mean, that that's the future because, you know, it's very difficult, you know, to shake people. It, it is, you have to grow up a new generation where kids just get it. And it's beautiful when kids, you know, people who I know who have kids, they just start using this language and then the kids know, mom, I had a tummy ache because I was mad at so-and-so. Oh, I've got, I couldn't swallow this thing because I didn't want to eat this snack and now I have a sore throat. It's like, they get it. And they, you just give them a couple examples and then they'll, they'll know for themselves. And when a child knows for themselves, for their entire life, they are empowered. They never think that something happens to them. They know they had an experience of something and that experience conveyed information to their body and their body has adapted to that experience. And that's what the symptom is. And it's simple as that. Mm, I love it. Maybe, I mean, you've given tons of examples throughout, but maybe we can end with um, a couple of your favorite, like you mentioned the sneeze, some common things that we experience that people can start to connect some dots with uh, symptoms or things that they're experiencing and maybe some of the German new medicine roots. Yeah. So um, acne is a great one, feeling attacked or feeling soiled. You know, like when you get a breakout, you felt attacked or you felt soiled in some way. And it could have been because a dog licked your face or you ate something that you perceive as being unhealthy for you. You could have felt ugly. You could have said, oh, I do not look good today. You, you could have been insecure about your appearance. Um, you know, you could have felt attacked by someone. They yelled at you and they got spit on your face. You know, like there's all sorts. And so when you have a breakout, you can find out what that was. Um, physical pain, self-devaluation. If you get into a fight with your partner and if you're right-handed, you're, when you clap and your right hand is on top, if you're right dominant, your right side is your partner side. So your partner, father, friend, and you're feeling you like get into a fight and then you feel bad. You're like, oh, I, should, I started that or I picked, you know, I criticize and I, and you feel bad about it. You're devaluing yourself, you know, soreness uh, of just your shoulder. You didn't work out. You didn't do any, you didn't have an injury, pain that just kind of comes out of nowhere. Look at the conflict, low back, feeling unsupported, you know, like the, the knees, the legs, it's physical performance. How did I feel like I couldn't keep up or I wasn't doing a good job? The hip feeling unable to keep up with continuous demands. Uh, if you have a sore throat, mm, couldn't swallow something, something I wanted to spit out, something I needed to swallow down, um, a cold sore, separation conflict, uh, runny nose, stuffy nose, stink conflict, sneezing, um, hair loss, separation, rashes, Recently, I had a great experience with someone who um, she had a great experience of a transformation of psoriasis, her skin, you know, it had to do with a separation conflict of um, with her son, it lasted for months. And she she went from having like this extreme rash all down the front side of her body, and it's cleared, 
you know, and, and it was, she was doing, had been doing all of the nutrition stuff, all the sauna, sun exposure, detox, you know, she was doing all of like the crunchy holistic things you do for this type of condition, but it wasn't until she identified the separation conflict and what she was fearing. Um, and she resolved it, that the skin changed. So, I mean, these, the, examples abound and you will once you start seeing them you can't you can't stop seeing them because they're always I happening it. i love it melissa thank you so much like You're truly so i just i love you and you convey the information in such a digestible way it is going to change people's lives so thank you so much for everything you do you are so welcome i just love it so much and it does it just makes so much sense when you get it when you see it it's just like it's clear as day and then you just have to kind of keep learning it and i mean it's an ongoing process of learning it for yourself learning like the sciencey part of it and then the experiential part of it you know so like you learn the sciencey stuff and how the body works and the tissue layers and all that cool stuff but it's like mm, making it you know how do i actually use this to change my experience and you start getting the hang of it and everybody you know like that comes across it and gets it. like that's you know what i mean like you don't have to to know when it sinks in as truth. It's like, that's how people come to this, this information. They're just like, that makes so much sense. And they just have that feeling. And that's the cool thing is following that sensation because even if, oh, but everything I ever learned is opposite of this and who am I to know? It's like your experience is the best teacher. Your experience is everything. And when you can see it in your own experience, it doesn't matter if every, you know, fancy medical doctor on the planet says, oh, well, that's, you know, that's BS. That's, that's not how it works. You know, this is, I don't, I don't need the confirmation of anybody to tell me that this is true or not because I've seen it, you know, and that's kind of, no one can take that from you. Well, I think too, like we have the most in massive air quotes, advanced medicine um, of all time, right? It's always evolving, evolving. And we have the sickest people mentally, physically, emotionally, we're just so dissociated from our bodies. So if anyone like has doubt, I mean, give it a go. What do you have to lose? Like our current paradigms are not working for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Explore it. And that's the thing. Just start seeing, just start getting curious about it. If you're skeptical, that's fine. It doesn't, you know, that's the thing. You don't have to take it on faith. Just start exploring it, seeing it for yourself. And uh, I think you'll be really delighted by what you discover. Um, yeah. And the people that, uh, that are using it, they're just, they just are so empowered and so much more relaxed and so much less afraid. Cause that's like the biggest thing is it allows you to no longer fear disease. Like I had such a weird random, like I just feared cancer. I just feared, you know, like I touch my boobs sometimes. It's like, oh, it's, you know, like when I was a kid, I just had this fear. It's like, cause it could just come whenever and you don't know what's when it's going to hit you. And it was just vague looming fear. And this completely gets rid of that. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Where can people go to dive deeper? Is there, do you have any like top recommendations on books or sites? Yeah, my um, my YouTube channel has a lot of um, great tutorials, great um, kind of easy digestible videos to kind of start wrapping your mind around the concepts. If you go to my website, drmelissacell.com, there is um, a blog post that I list all of the resources. So if you want books, there's a big list of books there of courses um, where you can go and like study for yourself. And that's the thing is I teach people the kind of practical application, like the mental emotional shifts and things to do to shift. Um, but I refer to um, Helmut Pilhar for his courses for the kind of the education from the scientific perspective. And so the links to those courses are on that page. Okay, I'll put everything in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again, awesome. Melissa. Yeah, you're so welcome. This was fun. Yeah, thank you. Bye for now. Bye.